Retro Rebel Gamecast is brought to you by TempleofGeek.com, your one-stop shop for all things geek. You can find all of our episodes and fulfill your sci-fi, fantasy, and geek culture-related needs at TempleofGeek.com. Welcome to the Retro Rebel Gamecast, where we discuss gaming and related topics. Retro Rebel is released Fridays, and you can find this episode and much more by heading to templateheek.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. You can even find us on Facebook and Instagram at Retro Rebel Podcast for exclusive content and to see what else we're up to. My name is Stacy, and with me is my fellow Rebel co-host, Amanda. Hello. <laughs> that was your radio voice. That was your nighttime radio yeah, voice. Yeah, nighttime radio voice. You gotta do it, man. You gotta do it. I uh, I just thought about this because I've I've gone and looked. I don't have a, a uh, webcam yet, and I plan on getting a webcam so that we can record. But then I got to thinking about what my face just looked like while I was trying to properly articulate everything in that in that uh, intro. It's fine. That's like, what we have Monica for. She makes us right. look nice. Yeah, just make just cut look, out all the nice, scary Monica, stuff. Please. Okay. Thank you. All right. <laughs> so what have you been up to? What have you been up to? Listen, it's all about Among Us. I'm uh, as obsessed with it as most people seem to be online. The memes abound. Red is always sus. You know what I'm talking about. Um, We had that big Twitch game last week uh, on Sunday when uh, lots of editors and contributors got together, myself and yourself included, to play Among Us uh, on the Twitch stream. So if you missed that, you can catch it uh, at Temple of Geek on twitch.tv. And... You ducked out before the hide-and-seek mode, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the hide-and-seek mode was the highlight for me. Because in normal mode, you can't talk during the round. So right. it's it's not really as interactive as the hide-and-seek mode, where you can talk the entire time because it doesn't matter, because everyone knows who the killer is. You're just desperately trying to run away at, like, half speed from them. And it's quite entertaining, <laughs> you know? It's like it's like Friday the 13th. They're like, Jason's coming, do you know? Right. Um, and you can't report bodies. You can't kick anyone out the goal is just to try to complete all your tasks before you all get murdered um and oh, nice it's super fun like to that, me we should have been doing that for most of the time then yeah i've i've requested that if the next time we do it we just do hide and seek mode because i think it offers a more entertaining experience for the viewer as well you know because once you're a ghost what i was doing was just following the killer around the whole time and just right. be like he's heading toward this place he's heading toward this place run oh, you know like you're so a rat. Was, yeah, because you can, because you're allowed to talk. So I think that is more fun overall. Oh, yeah. It sort of raises the stakes and, and keeps it entertaining, gives the ghost something to do, you know. Because um, you can still do your tasks, obviously, as a ghost, but once you finish your task, it's just sort of fun to chase the killer around and narc on him the whole time. But definitely <laughs> down to play that again, for sure. That was a lot of fun. I really did enjoy that. And... and um I get. I guess I, I. It's always. It's funny to me because I play so many. I mean, I. I do love games, and and uh, I've played games forever, and and uh, I like all kinds of games, and I happen to play a few games, the most that require or that would probably best benefit from having other people play with you, such as an MMO, 
<laughs> but I don't play with other people on my MMO. You know, I don't. I'm in a guild, but my guild actually, uh, before Shadowlands is going to release, they just uh, transferred to a different server. So the whole guild left. Uh, and if I were to transfer, I could be right back into the guild. But I didn't really play with them that much. I talked to them every now and then, but I didn't really play with them that much. Most of what I did was soloed. I soloed the content. So, um, so because I'm not a hardcore raider, uh, I you know I kind of get left behind in all that stuff. And and unless you know somebody uh, that's playing, and most of my friends that were playing don't play it anymore. So, uh, so and I'm fine with that because I've been playing solo for the you know the whole time. But all that to say, it would be much more fun if I was playing with friends because among us, playing with everybody from Temple of Geek was just a ton of fun and uh, and really funny. And I, I, I don't think I quit it, quit laughing or smiling the majority of the time, especially when <laughs> when I had to kill you uh, as my very first victim. Uh, as yeah, that the was imposter. messed up, dude. That was messed Man, up. Uh, when I saw you, I can't tell you, it was like time stopped for a second as I said to myself, many things i can't believe that the first person that i see who's sitting in this room all by themselves is amanda because i have to kill her now and then i'm gonna <laughs> if it were anybody else or if there was somebody else in here i would definitely not have done it obviously but uh just just the fact that you happen to be in my very first time ever being the imposter and the very first person i found alone in a room was you and i was like oh i'm so sorry amanda okay you guys it was messed up I know. It was messed up. I was I doing know. a hard task as well, because some of the tasks take longer than others, so you're really exposed with a couple of them. Um, right. And I was doing one of the ones that like requires some timing. Um, I think maybe aligning the communications. I don't. I don't remember. I don't. I, I haven't played it enough to memorize all of the tasks. The credit card was the one that kept whooping my behind. It was like I'd try to swipe the credit card and be too fast, too slow, too fast, too slow. And That's I funny. Think, that one takes me a second. Well, eventually I got the timing right, but yeah, at first it was like, man, I'm, I don't, I'm gonna be here. Somebody's gonna think I'm just sitting in this room, and it's like, no. Did I you just... notice in the wallet though? It has a picture of like three of the imposters, and the cyan imposter is actually the kid of like the I don't know, yellow and green maybe in the little really? photo. Yeah, uh -huh. that's quite funny to me. I didn't even see that. No, I didn't. Yeah, see that. next time you do the task, look in the wallet, and on the right-hand side, there's a little family photo of the little imposters, and yeah, the cyan ones like the kid. It's funny. <laughs> that is funny. Well, yeah. Um, so you've been playing Among Us, and we did get to play that. Uh, anything else you've been playing? Nah, that's all I've been playing, really, because you know it's just so easy to pick up, have a quick game, and then go. Do you know, like, right, right. that's sort of what I'm into. I'm really, I think, saving up my gaming fervor for uh, Cyberpunk. Do you know, like, oh, it's going to sure, yeah. be out in a month. Like, oh, so yeah, yeah. I'm just sort of saving up all of my attention for that when it comes out. My pennies. Exactly. Saving, saving them dollar dollar bills, y'all. It's right. just, you know, like, I really feel like maybe... I don't want to wait for Christmas for the new console. Like, maybe I want to experience the new console. I don't know. We're going to have to check our financial situation and see if that makes sense. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. I completely get it. And, uh, well, I have been playing um, Warcraft, obviously, and I'll get to that in just a second. Um, I have not, I've not really been playing much else, but I do plan on, my, my goal is to finish... Um, finish Jedi Fallen Order before Cyberpunk comes out because I'd really like to be able to 
speak on the end of that. It is one of the best uh, Star Wars games and one of the best games I've played all year. Um, and and that's not including uh, the new flight sim um, Rebel. What is it? I don't know. What it, I can't Rebel Squadron or or something Squadron. Yeah, I think it is Rebel Squadron. Isn't it? Um, you get to play on both sides, so you can play Empire. You get to play a an Empire campaign and a Rebel campaign too. Um, and I had heard some things because Daniel, you know, uh, formerly of Temple of Geek, has talked about it a lot. I've talked to him about it. Uh, you know, is it is it worth the money? Is it worth even kind of playing? And he said, uh, yeah, that it's great because I had thought that it was mainly a VR game. I thought it was a VR game or it, it, at least best experienced in VR. And from what he said is you can still ex- it's still really good to play with a controller. It's It's fine to play that way. Um, but it, from what I've read, it still is that that's the biggest complaint against the game is that it's meant to be played in VR. And so some of the controls are clunky, uh, because of the trans, you know, kind of, it was especially in like moving when you're interacting with other characters at VR games, you don't move like you would in a traditional game, right? You, know, you don't use the directional pad to move. You kind of point to something and then you automatically go to that thing once you click on it. So there's no walking around a room necessarily. You just kind of teleport from place to place, and that's okay. It's just different, uh, a different way to play, and and definitely lends itself more to the VR if you're if you're able to play that because you're in space, you're in the cockpit of a spaceship, and and so I think VR would be awesome to play that in. Um, but needless to say, I don't have VR yet, uh, and I don't know if I'm getting it. So I also don't know if I'm going to be playing that. But I have been playing Warcraft. I am trying to finish up some of my loose threads, uh, everything I can, all the all the mounts, all the gold farming I can do, all the all the the tasks I forgot to do. I I got uh, <laughs> flying and pathfinding from the Legion expansion just yesterday, I think, uh, which is two expansions ago. Um, but that's one of the things that I enjoy. Uh, most about the game is once I finish the in-game content because I've already been through all the raids um, and gotten to see the the you know the in-game cutscenes and stuff for this expansion. I like to go back when you're super OP and just wreck shop in old dungeons, try to get old mounts, uh, you know, up your reputation with certain places and and get all the toys and the and the on the and the pets and 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 stuff like that that you can while well, there's not much else to do. That stuff is still a lot of fun to me. So uh, some people don't enjoy that. They just want to keep advancing or they've played it so much. They've done all those things already, which I just literally can't understand. As many as many hours as, and days and months as, as I already told you guys I've played WoW, I still haven't done a lot of that stuff. And so I just don't know how you could possibly not only do that with one character, but some people have dozens of max level characters. And that's just crazy to me. I just, they must know a secret I do not. Um, besides just, uh, you know, rolling multiple characters and through at the same time, uh, you know, with multiple computers, which I guess I can see that, but that just doesn't sound like much fun to me. So, but WoW's what I've been playing. And uh, I'll get back to some Jedi Fallen Order next week. But it's just been easy to pick up and put down, probably like Among Us for you. Yeah. No, I think just, it's good to have a game you can just jump in and out of, especially the older you get. You just don't have much time. That's a fact. That's a fact. 
So, well, what about gaming news? What you got? Well, I got two news. The first one is, uh, and it'll be over by the time that this comes out, but um, October the 13th is, as we all know, Amazon Prime Day. And something I've never thought about, but um, Tech Radar pointed out that Amazon Prime Day is a great opportunity to get parts if you're planning a new gaming rig um, for your PC, because they often have really good discounts on like leading computer part brands like Ryzen and things like graphic cards always go on sale during Prime Day. So if you missed it this year and you're planning to upgrade your rig, maybe consider it as part of your purchase plan for next year is is to wait for Prime Day because like loads of things go on offer. Um, And in the description, um, I've linked the article just explaining the type of things that are on on sale. Very helpful. Now it won't be as helpful if you've listened to this and it's already passed, but helpful nonetheless. Helpful for the future because I never even thought about it before, to be fair. Yeah. No, I hadn't either. But I also haven't built a rig. Um, I've considered it. Then I realize how inept I am at it, and I choose not to. Well, I've got a uh, a news. I've got four news, but I, I, I'll uh, we'll just kind of go back and forth. So, um, if you've been tracking Amazon's two games that they've been uh, they've been uh, working on, one of them was a, f- a free to play first person shooter, Crucible that they officially have quit on and uh it went from i believe it was in uh it was gold and then it went back to beta and then now it's been completely um abandoned and that i think that has a lot to do with the fact it was it was critically panned um and then also you know they're putting their resources into the other game i believe it's called the new world which is an MMO, Amazon's MMO, and which is was supposed to be released this year, but is going to be released next year, uh, barring any natural disasters. So, interesting hmm. news: Amazon, uh, you know, wading into the AAA gaming sphere. So, yeah, I was also reading that Apple is thinking about changing the Apple TV into basically a console. There's been some rumors around that as well. It would not surprise me at all. They better wait. I don't know if Stadia's gotten... I mean, they're not... Stadia's not out. They've been knocked down. Um, Stadia is fighting for a knockout right now because uh, they have lost every round so far. So I'm just saying. Yeah. Uh, they better... They better... Uh, they better knock knock them out. Otherwise, I don't see Stadia staying around. And iTunes could learn a lot from that. Or, or the uh, Apple TV. Sorry. I just want to say iTunes today for some reason. Yeah, no, I know what you mean, though. But, um, okay, so my next piece of news is that PS4 says essentially, or sorry, PlayStation says essentially all PS4 games will be able to be played on the PS5 through one method or another, and none of them seem terribly easy, let me just add. They involve, like, (laughs) external storage and all all sorts of other BS. But that is good news for people that have a big catalog of PS4 games. However, there are 10 titles that are not going to be able to be played on the yeah, PS5, yeah. mostly due to licensing restrictions, like them needing to like relicense the music and things like that. Like I get it. I can't I can't blame them for that. Like that makes sense. But if you're wondering, those 10 games are DWVR uh, because it's a VR game, uh, Afro Samurai 2, Revenge of Kuna Volume 1, TT The Isle of Man Ride on the Edge 2, Just Deal with It, Shadow Complex Remastered, Robinson the Journey, We Sing, 
licensing. Hitman Go Definitive Edition, uh, Shadowin, and Joe's Diner. Those are the 10 titles that are confirmed to not be playable on the PS5. But as I say, I don't think that's like a huge deal. Um, Namely, because we kind of knew that... uh, VR and stuff like that wasn't really going to be supported. In fact, Microsoft basically said, like, F you to all the Kinect games. Like, in retrospect, Kinect was a bad idea. Let's just forget about it. <laughs> so um, they're not going to be playable on the new Microsoft I don't think console. that's going to hurt them at all. Yeah. No, and it'll be absolutely fine that it's not. So, I mean, 10 titles being the total of non-compatible, I think we can all deal with that. Uh, I'm not even annoyed yeah. by that. It makes sense. No, I agree. Um, absolutely. The I, I don't think I've I hadn't heard of the majority of those games for PlayStation, um, but I can tell you this: the more and more that I'm reading about the two, and and I I, I know that I was definitely Team PlayStation before. Um, I am definitely leaning towards Xbox on this this generation, uh, just from what I've read, exclusivity, a lot of the other things. Sometimes, and we talked about this. I think we even had an episode on. Uh, you know, games that are worth the, you know, a console purchase. But, you know, at the price tag currently, I could not justify that for one game anymore. Uh, I don't know that I could have really rationally justified it before, but now they're they're much more expensive. But the Xbox just is, it's it seems to be catering to the gamer so much more um, and offering... Uh, just a better overall product and a lot of perks. So anyway, we'll see. Uh, but just my my hot take for the second, for the moment. <laughs> hot take. No, I agree. And all of the reviews I've seen so far sing, seem to sing the praises of the Xbox Series X. So that's quite nice to see. It, it does seem to be cyclical, though, because the, uh, the Xbox 360 was a smash-out success. The Xbox One, not so much. So the Series X is good. Like, it just seems to kind of go back and forth, right. really. And the PlayStation 3 was me, you know, and, and that was the Xbox 360, so. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't even think I got a PlayStation 3 until right at the end of its console life. And But the PS2 was like a bang-out success. Oh, know? yeah. It, it, it blew everything out of the water. So, Well, my, my last piece of news is kind of a multi-tiered piece of news, and it's, it's all Blizzard all the time. So, <laughs> uh, so just stay with me. So first of all, Activision Blizzard closes their French office, which may not seem like as big of a deal to those in the, in the States, but they got to realize this was the main contact point for uh, Blizzard to the EU and, and, and really on that side of the pond. And so the jobs that were there, the contacts, a lot of the people that worked at that particular office were old, old Blizzard employees, people that have been with the company for a long time and, you know, prior to the Activision merger. Um, so with that being said, it it just it's curious how um, and 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 from what I've read from Kotaku and and PC Gamer and some of the other websites that are reputable websites that have been reporting on this, Activision and this was just a few months ago, Activision uh, announced a record financial uh, forecast, actually a record record financial results as Call of Duty Warzone passed 75 million players, and this is like sometime earlier this summer, they're making more money than they've made ever 
you know, but Warcraft. they're not making all of the money all I know. Of the time. You can't if you, yeah, and that's that seems to be their measure of success is are we making all the money? No. Continue to fire people. Uh, continue to continue to uh, <laughs> to consolidate and eliminate. And from what I've read, a lot of the jobs that they're losing at this French office are going to be uh, reshuffled and restructured into Activision jobs. And you're going to see a much greater influence than is already being seen, a much greater influence of Activision on Blizzard uh, and and their business practices. And we've seen it more and more and more with uh, the different IPs uh, being kind of partitioned out and and microtransactions being introduced. Uh, Nintendo's even giving uh, refunds to people for Overwatch because they canceled the Overwatch championship. And so Nintendo's trying to do right by their people, but Blizzard, I, I just, I believe Blizzard's hands are tied, especially the ones that the developers, their hands are tied because Activision is kind of steering the ship. And you're seeing that in a lot of the business and a lot of the, the game decisions that they're making. So immediately upon the non-compete clause expiring, Blizzard co-founder Mike Morhaime started his own company, Dreamhaven. And so Dreamhaven seems to be the spiritual successor or, or the Blizzard 2.0. He's taken four or five uh, of the big execs and, and developers from Blizzard. Uh, I think the StarCraft II developer, the original uh, developer and, and chief designer for Hearthstone went with him. So like before Hearthstone became, you know, the cash you know, the, the, the ATM that it is essentially now where you've got uh, these, you've got expansions, three or four expansions per year, and, and it's just the game continues to evolve, and I wouldn't necessarily say it's in a good way. Like, I haven't played in almost a year, and, and, um, and I've moved away from a lot of the Blizzard games. Diablo and, and uh, Diablo Warcraft, I guess that's the only two I play still. And uh, the only two that I feel are worth playing because they still have, you know, they still have uh, value, I guess, uh, replay value. But even even the, the remake that they're making, the Frozen Throne, they're talking about making it to the point where you couldn't even play it on older rigs. So you're playing a remake of a game that was that the remake that they just came out with Warcraft three was already broken and didn't deliver the things that they told you it was going to. And now they're going to make this other one theoretically so so advanced uh and 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 upgraded that you couldn't even play it on your old rigs even if you owned the frozen throne you couldn't do it so i don't know uh losing a lot of goodwill and i hate it because blizzard's one of my favorite gaming game companies game developers uh and and i know it's not all their fault they're just kind of the you know if you know you're the you're working at this place and you're doing your job and you're being told we've got a partition this out and make as much money all the money and so i mean i'm just in the end i think the silver lining is Dreamhaven may be blizzard 2.0 and we may see some really cool really innovative things coming from that game designer that game developer and so i'm excited to kind of track that and, and see what they what they're going to do so positive yeah it's still positive a shame though that people are losing their livelihoods just because the company is greedy. It's not like they aren't making good money because they no, are. No, they're making all the money. They're making, they, they, their, their trajectory is to make all the money. 
That's that's the they continue to make more and more money, which gives them this delusion that you can keep pushing that the goalposts further out. I mean, tell me another company that's making money still off a fifteen year old title. Do you know what I mean? Tell me. Absolutely. Who? Nobody. Nobody, you know, and, and uh like even Minecraft isn't even that old. I mean, they're still making money, but they ain't even that old. No, and they're not making that kind of money either still. So they are making money though, but I I don't think it's as 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 nefarious maybe the wrong word disingenuous maybe but they keep uh the further i think you're going to see the further and further they push the developers out of like the decision making process of some of these games uh the more vapid and empty it's gonna get they will be the death of the company and they will be the death of these big games I just, I promise you, I promise you that Activision will be the reason why those particular games fail. The, and then what will take their place are games like Candy Crush, and and uh, which has been around for a while too, and and uh, Call of Duty, which has been around for a long time. But it's because of the of their business model. You can't really apply that to a game with a subscription. Yeah. You'll lose. You'll, you're going to lose faith with them. So. Well, to be honest, I do think that the lockdowns across Europe are contributing to this because Absolutely. you know people are having to work from home when you're doing high-end design like this, relying on an internet connection for private individuals. Like it just isn't the same. You know, like I've got pretty decent internet here. It's decent, but there's no way that I could be manipulating code or rendering huge graphical cutscenes and things like that. My internet would fall over in a minute so right. you know these developers they're trying to work from home you know most of europe is back into some form of lockdown already because they're seeing a second wave um, we're about to go into another lockdown for the same reason and i just don't think that high uh bandwidth and you know computer capability um, design is that feasible at home you know not with the sort of internet speeds that we really get in this country and also you know the the companies are not compensating people for use of their private bandwidth do you know what I mean like uh, that's that's when, something nobody's talking about yeah when I was working from home like I was using my private internet or whatever and luckily it's not a metered connection you know I do have unlimited unlimited at home but the connection was not the best it's been improved since then but at no point did the company I was working for be like hey we're now using your private internet for you to do work from we're going to compensate you for this so you can get a better connection or like whatever at no point was that discussed you know so right, i imagine right. that these developers are trying to do their jobs from home in less than ideal conditions you know it's no wonder that the company was like you know what scrap it do you know like we'll, right. we'll take the business somewhere else where we're not facing these level of restrictions and to that degree i think the lack of consistent lockdowns in america is probably helping them to make some of those decisions because if there was a lockdown just full across like globally and everyone was doing the same thing they wouldn't have any justification to move that workload somewhere else but because right. it isn't consistent and because europe is being you know maybe not overly cautious that's not the word but because europe is being cautious and america generally isn't it is sort of taking <laughs> some mean? of that some of them jobs away right i don't know i, I resemble that remark that we're not being cautious 
Well, I mean, you know, we, so in Scotland, for example, this week, it was announced that there's no indoor drinking for the next two week period that pubs, they can't serve booze full stop. Like that's that because they're concerned that, you know, when people have something to drink, they don't socially distance as much and it's contributing to the problem. I think the last stat I read was 33% of cases originated in pubs and like 27% in restaurants. So they're basically kiboshing a big portion of the increase in cases by saying that's it. Um, yeah, but they're also encouraging people to work from home. So we've got another swathe of work from homes. Don't go out. Don't socialize. You can only meet right. in groups of six. Full stop. Whether that's your household or mixed household, six people, job done. That's it. Um, and so uh, the restrictions are getting tighter again. And they're expecting to announce new measures on Monday. Hmm. Monday, okay. the 12th of October. Right. So by the time you hear this, they will already be out. This is true. But, the, you know, most other countries have already entered a stronger lockdown. We're a little bit behind. Yeah, we're way, we're way behind. So, um, <laughs> well, good. All right. Well, uh, I don't know if that was a, a positive place to end the news or not. But by for all intents and purposes, uh, I think things are there is a silver lining. So um, I don't know what it is, but we can all just assume there's a silver lining out there somewhere. Dreamhaven, focus on that. So that brings us to our main topic today, which, um, you know, we were we were kicking ideas around, and you suggested this particular idea, and I think I think there's a lot to unpack in this, and so I kind of broke it into the two questions and separated it. But um, so essentially, today we're going to discuss why controls have gotten harder and more complex in games. Is it even necessary? And do you think games have a higher level of entry? Uh, because of the base level expertise gamers have now and that, that kind of detailed controls. that is that more or less in line with what you were thinking? Yeah, I just like to explore it. And this isn't my idea. I have to credit it to my fellow who came up with it. Um, but, you know, are devs just trying to make use of the tech advances that are available? You know, is it because we're, quote unquote, better and more experienced with hand-eye control now as established gamers? Um, or is it a combination of those two things? Like, why is it that no matter what game, it seems whenever a sequel is released, it's even more complex than the first one. And then also, right. generally, games overall are more complex because there are just more buttons and things to do. You know, it's not like Mario, which is D-pad and two buttons, do you know? Or Pong, right. which is like a joystick job done, do you know? Right. So I think it'd be interesting just to explore that evolution and think, you know, think about the implications, why that might be changing. Well, so... So obviously, in the beginning, the limitations were the technology, and so you could only do so many things with Atari, uh, with and where you just had a uh, had a knob that you could twist and go back and forth. And I think there were a couple buttons on the Atari Twenty Six Hundred where you had a knob that goes back and forth, and then you had buttons that you could push to shoot something. Uh, for like War, or a couple of the other games that actually had maybe Space Invaders. Uh, where you go back and forth on the screen. So you're limited by the technology, but that also limited what you could do on the screen or in the in the game. It starts there. Nintendo was the same way, uh, but the innovation was up, down, left, and right. And then, you know, the ability to, uh, you know, to at least have two buttons. You could also map 
controls to pushing both buttons at the same time. So you kind of had three options there, and you would see that being used uh, in, in some of those games. As you added buttons to the controller, um, I think that that gave a little bit of freedom to developers to, to add a bit of realism, add a bit of complexity, but also I don't think it was initially complexity for the sake of it. You know what I'm saying? Like I, don't, I think that they continued to innovate uh, and with the technology add some complexity, but I think that that added to the game. But I don't know when it actually and maybe you you have an opinion on this. I don't know when it actually kind of shifted to now it's complex for the sake of complexity because I don't think all games are that way, and I think some games really maximize the use of the controller. But at least in terms of just movesets changing and controls changing and not really getting to, like, maybe the uh, the idea of are they, are they that way on purpose, but when did you when do you think it switched to... Some games are just complex for the sake of being complex. I think the first time that I really noticed that there had been a leap in complexity was between Mass Effect and Mass Effect 2. And I know it happened before, but that's when I remember thinking this has gotten harder for really no reason. And I think... (laughs) And, you know, people might correct me. It may have been two to three. But I think during the Mass Effect series, when they added in the customizable skill trees for your party members, and then you had to worry about leveling them too. Right. um, And I feel like that was the first time where I was like, but why though? Do you know? Like, I never really wanted to, as a PC get involved in the development of my NPC party members. Right. I know that sounds weird, but like part of me wanted them to be organic, like wanted them to develop themselves in their own way, because it actually is more realistic if they develop themselves. Like, can you imagine being like the head of a, like a starship captain and you're like, well, it seems like you have an interest in bionics, but F you, here are some guns, you know, like (laughs) it doesn't make any sense. And that, that was a time that distinctly stuck out to me where I was like, for the story, this doesn't make any sense. Like they've just added it in because they can but it literally right. makes no sense in canon like or in reality it was just more complex to offer additional customization options but it doesn't actually serve the story of being a leader in a fleet a yada 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 do you know right right and that that's the first time that i remember it now i notice it a lot more so like for me call of duty is a great modern example i'll use modern warfare or i'll use um warzone because that's what i played most recently but like there are so many things that you can change on your character build to have a different playing experience from magazines to sites to perks to you like the costume that you're wearing and everything the avatar that you use they all have different benefits i mean listen you can have a bright red avatar and stick out like a sore thumb if you want to or you can be a guy in a gunny suit and blend into the environment and sit in bushes if that's how you play and i think 
every change that you make has a pretty significant impact on how the game plays for you. Um, even just simple things like setting your sensitivity up and things like that, I mean, makes a huge difference to how the game plays and how effective you are. Inverting your controls, yeah. Yeah. And even though you've been able to do some of those things in other games before, I really think that Call of Duty has gone to like the next level in allowing you to really customize your loadouts, the type of guns that you bring on, you know, the way that you play and how effective you are makes a huge difference from starting weaponry like on the ground weaponry to your custom loadouts that you pick out and load up drops like it's it's night and day really right and no yeah i agree i think players demand that level of personalization and realism now um because i think if they were to scale it back and be like all right guys uh everybody just drops you only get what's on the ground and that is what it is similar to sort of how things are with fortnite uh i don't think the call of duty players would be satisfied with that because they're distinct different set of requirements from like what fortnite players play player fortnite players it's like about the look you know and right. call of duty it's about like you know the, it's a bit of realism. That yeah, the realism, the like in. metric hacking, things like that. I mean, you can watch endless tutorials about different builds and loadouts and down to the exact silencer or magazine that you put on it in order to get a specific type of result. Like, people are super into this. Um, and that reminds me of like early days in WoW and early days in, you know, when I played City of Heroes and things like that, where you would really be running things through stats like third-party stat programs and everything to be like oh my build's really weak in this area i need to do xyz so i think that while it's been around i don't think it's going to reverse anytime soon oh, I, th no. I think there's now a distinct player base that demands and requires that on top of making use of the tech available you know like they want right. to push the boundaries in realism and customization um have you because you play different sort of games from me. So, like, right. maybe your example of games might be a bit more comprehensive than the ones that I play. Well, yeah, I was I was just thinking that, you know, when I first, um, first realized the complexity and how far it had come, and I, I think uh, tank controls for Resident Evil and, and Parasite, well, Parasite Eve wasn't quite as bad, but when, when I first realized I had to control the camera as well as everything else so i'm having to think of in a 3d space and generally i think this this came about with 3d games um playstation the first original playstation the nintendo 64 that started introducing uh 3d environments where the camera was had to be controlled is where i first started realizing that uh, the complexity of the con control scheme had had advanced to the point sometimes where maybe it was unnecessarily complex uh but I I think the the two games where it really it was really demonstrated was Goldeneye. If you've ever played Goldeneye, anybody have, that's played yeah. Goldeneye, if you try to go back and play Goldeneye, you will you will realize how they maximized the use of the Nintendo sixty four controller. But if you ever saw that controller, it looks like a finger torture device. Like, how are you supposed to hold this controller? It's got two two really distinct ways uh, that you can comfortably hold the controller. And at the time, I didn't think anything of it. It's got a Z button at the bottom. It's got multiple uh, trigger buttons on the top. It's got 
two uh, you know uh, analog sticks and and then a direct two directional pads, and you're like, what in God's green earth is this monstrosity that I'm supposed to use? And and you had things mapped to all that. You strafed with these buttons, and you know so Goldeneye at the time. I didn't think it had a really high uh, entry point in terms of the technical component because my dad would play it with me. And so, and he was always odd job and, and we didn't ever say anything, but that's like cheating. And so, um, cause you always shot over his head yeah, and, and he always had headshots on you. So, but anyway, it, it was, uh, it was, that's when I first really started realizing it, but I don't think it was until, uh, games like, I'd say Mass Effect was one, but Mass Effect 2, I felt, if you go back now and you play Mass Effect 1 versus Mass Effect 2, sometimes that advance, in my opinion, is necessary uh, to smooth out the controls. And I thought Mass Effect 2 was so much easier to control and more intuitive than Mass Effect 1. I actually, because I got my Xbox stolen way back when, I lost my save for uh, Mass Effect 1. And so I had to play, I had to play Mass Effect 2 and 3 from like a default save. You know, you get to kind of pick what happened. And that's not exactly the decisions that I made. And, uh, but I tried to go back and play it so that I could have that save to, to work from. And I just realized how, how, not bad, bad's the wrong word, but that the controls, they had improved the controls for 2 and 3. Yeah, it was uh, now clunky. They, it was real clunky. The first one was real clunky. Now, they also added a lot of features to the game for you to keep up with that I didn't necessarily think I I wanted. Well, once I played them, I, I knew I didn't necessarily want them. But uh, like you said, I wanted them to be organic and me just to be able to play, pick my team and my loadout based on how I built my character, you know. Uh, yeah. I didn't I didn't want to have to run, uh, you know, statistical models to figure out what the best loadout was for my for my character i just wanted to play um but i think that's also because the the consoles because pc's been doing this for a long time pc's had incredibly complex controls for a lot of the games that they play and so the so the console has always been a little bit behind that and because of the limitations of the hardware you were only able to map so many things to a controller you know, so it made it to where some games were didn't translate real well. Um, I still don't think that that Diablo is as much fun to play on on a console as it is on a computer, just because it's so much easier uh, to use a mouse and the keyboard to move and, and hit your buttons. But th- I also am not as experienced, so that I, I probably am just a little bit <laughs> a little bit biased. Yeah, you know what's funny about that? I was just thinking about Bioshock. You know how you have to, like, slot and unslot powers in order to do, mm-hmm. like, specific things? I always hated that. That's super annoying. It always took me out of the game all the time. I'm like, right. I just want to, like, I want to just be fire and ice. Like, that's the build I want to go with, and that's just what I want to use, and I want to be able to use that for everything. I, I feel like they made it too complex, being like, oh, now you have to slot in the anti-grav thing to do this and that. You know what I mean? Like, right. I hated that. I love that game. I love all those games. I played the crap out of them, but that was always super annoying, and you constantly run into it. It's not like you can ignore that part of the game because they force you to use new powers that you acquire, and I just found that super annoying. Well, and I think to your point, and and back to the question a bit, that 
as technology has advanced, you've you've got more options for realism. Um, I think the challenge for all developers is how do I make this game and the controls flow naturally, you know, where you're not having to, you, you don't get carpal tunnel just trying to do a move or to repeat a particular move that everything seems to be very natural and organic. And I think that's, that is an art form in and of itself. I love the controls of Ghost of Tsushima. It is a very intuitive control scheme. Um, it's very responsive. And, and so you feel like you really have good control over the, over the character. It's not like there's a, there's not a delay in the jump. There's not like like you said in Assassin's Creed this this uh, gradual slowdown, so you keep falling off cliffs or whatever. You can't really gauge certain certain movements, and and uh, because of that, I think that's that there's something that, and I'm, I'm sure there are rewards for stuff like that. But I think there are also, um, and I, and I, I don't know if it's because some of the control schemes are proprietary, or they don't want to map things exactly the same way as somebody else. Uh, I don't know if it's a requirement or if it, if it's if it's against some sort of copyright. But when games similar type games like third person shooters, first person shooters change control schemes uh so that like a button that used to be shoots no longer shoot, a button that's oh, like, I hate uh, that. You know, load out or reloading or changing weapons on a game that seems to be very intuitive, they they change and switch that for another game. It's it's so frustrating, and and I but I but I also wonder, you know, approaching it from a scientific perspective, if I had played that game first, would I be frustrated with the other game? If that makes sense. Well, you know? I think we should have a standard. To be honest, like when did a uh, right bumper stop being grenade, and when did B stop being melee? Like, come on, right. people! Like, let's just have a bit of a standard, and also let's talk about radial wheels. Yeah. I hate them. Every yeah. game that requires them to be used as like a regular par for the course thing, I absolutely hate it. And it's partially due to my hardware, because my Xbox is quite old, yeah? The controller has seen a lot of wear, and my joysticks are not as tight as they should be. So, inevitably, when I click, I also end up going click up, and I pick something I don't want to pick, I use a potion I don't want to use. Like, honestly, radial buttons... Whenever they use a radial, it does my head in. I really don't enjoy it. It, like, ruins the experience for me. And I think it's not necessary. Like, why make it be so complicated? You have to access another menu halfway through the game in order to do X, Y, Z. Like, just have quick slots on the D-pad. Like, does it really have to be that complicated? Because it sort of takes you out of the immersion for me. Like, and that joystick problem is causing big problems for me in the fighting games that I've been playing recently because now it has 360 degree trigger combos so you've got up down left right and then all the diagonals of those directions as well and my joystick is no longer sensitive enough to accurately pull off a lot of those moves on a consistent basis so when I was doing the tutorial for Soul Calibur it, like I got messed I had to do one of the tutorial segments like three times in a row because it wanted you to do like a directional and then push a button and right. it just wasn't it wasn't locking into that diagonal upright do you know what I mean it wouldn't lock yep. into that and it it required me to do it to move forward and that took me many <laughs> many tries but that also means that if when I'm in combat I'm not going to be able to consistently pull off whatever that move is like no matter what because of you know the hardware limitations of my specific controller that isn't working optimally and so 
and there didn't seem to be any way to really change that without losing another move. Do you know what I mean? Like if oh, you yeah, can't yeah. access all of the full functionality because your hardware isn't operating perfectly, automatic disadvantage, especially in fighting games now because they're so super complex. There's you know there's power meters going off and yada yada and multi chain combos and directional combos and it's too much, in my opinion. Do you too know? Much. It's too much. Oh now. yeah. No, and you know that's funny that you say that too because uh, I was just thinking about going back now to some of the limitations of of the older technology, like like uh, Street Fighter Two came out on on Super Nintendo, and if you ever played it in the arcade and played it any time after that, there's enough buttons on the controller really to map, you know, high kick uh, or or light kick, uh, medium kick and heavy kick, light punch, medium punch, heavy punch, heavy punch. Um, but back then you had four buttons and then two bumpers on the top for Super Nintendo. And so you to do your light kick, I believe it was one of the bumpers. To do your heavy punch was one of the bumpers. And then you had the other four. So basically it was not very intuitive. And you were going to give up using probably two of the strikes. And that means anything, any of the super moves or special moves that were mapped to those buttons, you just weren't going to do. Because it wasn't it wasn't comfortable, natural, intuitive to do it that way. So you just were going to have to give up that stuff. It wasn't, the technology had not met the game. Uh, you know, they, they weren't equal. So you were actually at a disadvantage unless you had a special controller, which I don't, I'm sure they developed something at some point. But if you just used your stock controller for the Super Nintendo, you were going to give up some, some moves. And it was even worse for the Sega Genesis because the Sega Genesis had three buttons. But if you wanted to switch from punches to kicks you had to hit like the start button or the select button and then it would turn those buttons to kicks and then you push the select button again and it goes back to punches and so you just were having to go back and forth and instead of it just it, it made it really clunky and and obviously wasn't uh wasn't ready for that level of technology or that type of game yet um the port having the port was great being able to play it on your home console was awesome but it definitely was a diminished uh, experience because the controls were so bad. I mean, you just really couldn't do anything with it. You know, what's funny. That brings me to VR and diminished experiences. So did you ever have the original connect for the 360? I don't, I don't think I did. I think it just okay. on the, the Xbox, the new Xbox. Right. So I, I have them both. Uh, obviously I now live in a flat that's too small to make really use of it, but I do have it. Um, because why not? Um, but on the original Connect on the 360, which I had when I lived back in Florida and had space and whatever, there was like a fitness trainer with like a boxing game. Yeah. Do you remember seeing that? Um, it was like maybe called Shape Fitness, maybe? I don't know if I'm making this up. But um, I remember playing the game and really feeling the limitations of the technology, which at that point, the Connect was really quite good. Um, but you know, I did martial arts growing up until like 16 years old. You don't really lose the muscle memory. So I actually know how to punch and kick properly. Yeah, 100% no question about it. But when I played that game, I would say at least 20% of the time it didn't recognize my strikes. Because when you actually know what you're doing, you I was doing it faster than the technology could recognize the movement. And that right. is just an example of 
the technology not really meeting up with the reality of the actual movements themselves. You know, I highly doubt that they had people who were actually trained in martial arts to test it (laughs) in a capacity that would mean that you would get a hundred percent hit response rate so you know they probably just had normal people testing it and that's fine that you know it's a fitness app to be fair it's not like it was ufc fighter 2020 or anything you know what i mean like right but it it did really sort of let me down overall because i was like no i'm actually doing this properly i know what i'm doing and i'm doing it at the speed that it would be done in the real world and you're saying that i am failing do you know (laughs) Yeah. yeah um and i think as technology evolves with things like VR and controllers and all sorts, I'm hoping that they can overcome some of those challenges. So I think it really would be interesting if they could map your real world skill ability, you know, like that would be cool. Right. Cause I would actually, and I think that's going to be one of those power glove situations where you've got to have a whole haptic suit before that'll happen, you know, probably, you know, but listen, it, the power glove, it's so bad. <laughs> it's so bad. It's just so bad. So well, good. um, you know, to that point and, and kind of wrapping up this and, and then the next question is, I, I do think that um, controls have changed and gotten harder. I think that that adds to the complexity of what you're able to do in the game. I don't think that it's necess- that it's necessary for all games to be that complex because you've got games like Among Us that we've talked about that has very simple controls um, and is a lot of fun. And, and that's that game came out in, I guess it came out in 2018 and just really now has gotten big. Um, but so there's there's still going to be a place for games like that. I think that in the end it's going it's, it's up to the developers and it has as it has always been to try to map the buttons in a way that seems intuitive and is not cumbersome and, and makes gameplay, even if it's complex, uh, fun, you know, uh, I'll use one other example, Gears of War. If, if you've played Gears of War, uh, there's a lot for you to do in that game. You've got uh, you know other weapons that are mapped to your directional pad and throwing grenades, using the chainsaw. The chainsaw is probably the least intuitive of all of them, but that's because you can only it has to it has to reset. So if you use it too many times in a row, it's got to re it's got a, it's kind of got a refractory period before it can come back. And so that's that's really not a a um, a response thing as much as it is kind of a, a gaming mechanic. So you kind of have to understand mm-hmm. that part of it. But other than that, very intuitive controls. Uh, throwing grenades and 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 aiming grenades as you throw them is extremely intuitive. Sometimes I can't tell you how many games I've accidentally thrown a gut dog grenade <laughs> because because it's mapped to a button. I was like, wow, what is this? Oh crap! There it went. <laughs> You know, accidentally <laughs> kill yourself with a grenade. Um, and so, um, and I've played games for a long time. I've played a lot of different games, and that's probably why I'm having to sift through all the files to find, okay, what is the controls for this one? I can't remember. It's been too long. Oh, there we go. Um, but I, I just, I do think that it comes down to, you know, play testing, figuring out what seems to work, because I do think that it doesn't have to be. It can it can be intuitive and complex at the same time, if that makes sense. The Last of Us and a lot of first-person uh, shooter games have complex control schemes, but they're intuitive, or they can be intuitive. And that that uh, but that brings us to the next part of that question: is does does that level of complexity, even if it's intuitive, 
set the entry level into games like that anyway, uh, set it a little higher. You know, does that make oh, yeah. it? Does that make the entry level into games uh, just a little bit more difficult? A hundred percent. I would say that pretty much everyone I've ever played a game with in recent years has not been at the same skill level that I am just because of my broad breadth of experience with all types of control schemas. All you hail know. Amanda. Well, I'm not I'm saying just, that I'm I'm, I'm not saying that I necessarily would be the best, but I do find myself like when I play with other people, I'm like no no, you have to crouch behind things. No no, like that means that you're dying. No no, like you need to aim with the left and shoot with the right. You know what I mean? Like I think there is a natural barrier to entry now that is more complex that if you play a lot of games you don't even think about it but the idea of controlling the camera with one and your rectangle with the other toggle is not really intuitive to people that haven't played games in a couple console generations you know or people who are brand new to it you know sometimes I get frustrated doing a tutorial and they're like okay now walk now look around I was like really are we walking and looking around that's what we're doing but actually if you don't think about it, you know, there are people who are picking up games for the first time today, you know, like, you know, young kids who got their very first game full stop, and they've never experienced it. And I think the barrier to entry is quite high. Now they're going to get good because kids whoop my ass all the time, they will get good at it. But I do think it is a much higher barrier to entry and a lot less intuitive than some of the games that have universal appeal, like things like Candy Crush, you know, like we want to discount that say it's not a game, but grandmas can pick it up and play it immediately, and they know what's going on. I don't think they'd have the same level of success with Call of Duty. Right. No, I agree. And and to that point, I, I do think that, um, especially gaming, if you were to just generalize it, gaming in general, there is a higher level bar of entry uh, into gaming now than there ever has been in the past. And because of that, I do think that that could be a deterrent for people who are just trying to get in. Uh, I didn't really think of it that way, but that's because, like you and I said, we've both played games for a long time. And so I, I kind of take it with a grain of salt that things change as, as controllers change. But the, the PlayStation and Xbox controller have not changed a lot since, uh, since their, their first version. Like the PlayStation, PlayStation controller has added a few buttons and some features, but the shape of the controller is essentially very similar to what it was originally. Xbox, the the Xbox brick controller that they had originally has changed considerably, but the the functionality of the controller, the you know the the main home button and all of those things have essentially have remained unchanged for the most part. And so I think if you've if you've gamed or started gaming in the last, um, you know. If you, if you started gaming 15 years ago or so, then you're probably not going to have any trouble, or 10 years ago. But if you're just starting gaming now, I'd say the bar's high uh, to, to get in, and, and that the, the complexity of the game, depending on, on where you are in your, <laughs> your patience level to kind of pick up those control schemes, uh, is going to dictate whether or not you would ever stick with it or not. I think kids are fine, though. I think, you know, they just as I think we would have been if, if we had that kind of complex controller back then, we would have been fine uh, using these controls because I think the more buttons that they've added, it has, you know, the 
Street Fighter example I used earlier, if you had a controller that actually could map all those buttons, it wouldn't have been as complex. But the fact that I had to reach so far on the controller and it didn't flow very well as you're trying to, to use buttons for other strikes that, that, uh, that you would need for certain combos, but it's just not very intuitive, it makes it less likely that you're going to be able to even use those buttons and, and maybe excel at that game. And, and that's a limitation on the technology, not so much my limitation as a, as a gamer to be able to play this game. You know, uh, I, I think the technology was limiting, limiting it then. Now it's a matter of maximizing the use of the technology in a way that seems intuitive. And that's, uh, I think that's possible, even though it's complex, I think it's possible. So, uh, and because yeah, lots of games do it all the time. But, but entry level is higher. So, what are your what's your closing thoughts on this? Uh, or if if you have any, just or you know about move sets, controls, and and uh, the level of expertise gamers are. Is it higher now? Is it is it is it going to get worse or better or harder? Or I think that at least with the next generation, it'll stay about the same. I think once they nail the VR component, I think it could get worse uh, and more complex to a certain degree. Um, but I don't think we're there yet. I think we're quite a ways off from there. I think that as a community though, we could be doing a lot to be a bit kinder to people who are entering a game or gaming in general for the first time. I think there is a toxic culture of get good that probably puts people off from trying games that are a little bit harder and putting in the time and effort to learn because if you're just going to get slagged off all the time, it's not fun, it's not enjoyable, and games should be fun. So. I think while not much will change on the actual technology front, at least with this upcoming generation and maybe the generation afterwards, I think we could be doing something to make games more welcoming and be a bit more patient with people who are learning more complex controls. And I hope that that's what we do in this next generation of consoles and next generation of PC games, that we maybe try to recognize that there is a bit more of a learning curve and be nicer as a community to people who are just starting out. Be nice. Be nice. It's not hard. Or that hard, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, all right, that wraps up this episode of Retro Rebel Gamecast. I want to thank Amanda for this week's discussion. All the notes from this episode will be posted on our site, templeofgeek.com. If you'd like to add to the discussion or reach out with questions, sound off in the comments or email us at retrorebel at templeofgeek.com. If you like what you hear, head over to wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe so you'll be sure to get each episode as it's released. And rate us because that really helps our show. Until the next time. See you later.